Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining me on the Financial Pathway podcast today. It really seems like our last episode really resonated with a lot of folks, and I think we had a lot of first-time listeners. So if you are new to the podcast, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading and subscribing. We try to cover a variety of topics on this podcast, so I would encourage you, if you haven't been listening from the beginning, check out episodes 16 through 20, The Common Investing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Really great starting point for learning about investing, and there's a lot of helpful info that I share in those episodes. But whatever you're here to learn about, buying a home, renting, health insurance, health savings accounts, uh, rental properties, a lot of different topics we've covered. So just go back through these last 30 episodes and see what what, uh, what sticks out to you. But thank you, everybody. Whether you're brand new or you've been listening from the beginning, I really appreciate your engagement. And of course, we want to to provide you with helpful advice and information on a wide variety of topics. And so today we're going to be talking about six ways to prepare for your children's future, but it doesn't have to be your child. Maybe your kids are grown and they're out of the house, so you're thinking grandkids, maybe it's a niece or nephew, maybe it's somebody that's not even related to you, but somebody who's in your life that you want to be able to help uh, and you're in a position to help. Whatever the case may be, we're going to talk about some different types of accounts and different ways you can do just that. So let's uh, jump into the episode today. Thanks again for joining us. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us on the Financial Pathway Podcast with Nate Skelly, where we discuss important financial questions and give you practical advice to guide you on your financial journey. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing and leaving us a review. You can also follow the Financial Pathway page on Facebook for more helpful financial tips and videos. So the purpose of today's episode is not to really tell you this is the account or this is the way that's best to prepare for your child's future. It's to be informational. It's to say, here are some options, here are some possibilities, and consider these choices before you make that decision. And so uh, let's just jump right into to number one, and that would be probably the easiest and most straightforward option. That's a savings account, one that you would open up at your local bank. Uh, it's fairly easy to do. You can open up a custodial account where you uh, are the custodian and the minor, the child, is the beneficiary. You as the custodian are the only one that can withdraw the funds, but the account is for the benefit of the minor. Uh, and then whatever you're saving that money for, it could be the their first car, it could be for college, could be for a trip or a computer or a phone, whatever the case may be. It's just an easy place to begin to park some money and, and, and accumulate it over time. Some banks will let you open up a joint account with a minor so that they are actually a part owner and have access to the funds and can make withdrawals and have a debit card. Not every bank does this. Some do. This may be helpful if you've got an older kid, a teen who's got a part-time job and they need to learn how to manage a bank account, how it works, checks, debit card, earning interest, all of those types of things. Be, of course, careful. Make sure that they are in a position where they're responsible enough and know how to handle uh, that that uh, that ability to access funds in an account and use a debit card and make withdrawals at an ATM. Uh, but that could be helpful for, for an older child, one that's getting ready to, to move into adulthood. The big downside here, though, is if you go with the savings account approach, you're really not going to generate much by way of return. It's easy to set up, simple, very straightforward, but you're not going to earn a lot of interest, let's face it. Even if it's in a savings account, you might be earning 0.01% right now with where, with, uh, where interest rates are, but 
even a few years ago. It still wasn't going to be a whole lot of, of, of return. So it's a good place to park money, but not really a great place to grow money. So if the idea here is we want to set money aside, but also grow it and maximize the benefit for down the road, then I would encourage you to look beyond just your savings account in the bank, which moves us to option number two. Maybe you've heard of 529 accounts, 529 plans. These are special types of accounts that are designed for education saving, college education savings. They come with some great benefits, but of course, there are going to be some limitations. The first benefit is that you get state income tax deduction in some states. Uh, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to savingforcollege.com. They've got some really helpful articles on some of these topics. I'm going to link to a couple of the articles. One does a nice job of lining out, okay, based on what state you live in, do you get a state tax deduction? And if so, what are the rules for that? And it's a state tax in a state income tax deduction, not a federal income tax deduction. So that's a big difference. Federal income tax deduction would be way more beneficial because the rates are so much higher. But still, a state tax deduction is helpful as well. Now, if you live in a state like Florida, where I live, there is no state income tax. So that's not a benefit to you. But most most states do have state income tax. So um, in most cases, that's, that's going to be something you can take advantage of. Each state is going to have their own sponsored 529 plan as well. So if so, Florida has a plan, uh, Virginia has a plan, Texas has a plan, Wyoming has a plan. Every state has their own plan. Depending on the rules for your state, you may want to use your own state's plan. In some cases, they're not going to specify that you have to use your state's plan. You can use any state's plan. Again, check out savingforcollege.com. That's going to have some helpful resources on navigating that question. The big advantage to this account is, however, is that you can invest money for several years and earn some interest. So you're not just parking money in cash and building that up. Your money is working for you over time, especially if it's a younger child, two, three, four, five years old, and they're still fairly far off from college, you can uh, generate uh, some return over time. So for a younger child, you want to be more aggressive and growth oriented, most likely maybe 80 to 90% of the money be invested in, in stocks. However, if the child is already a teen and maybe they're only three or four years away, then it would be wise to be more conservative, more balanced in your portfolio. So a lot of these plans are going to give you different types of funds that you can choose. They're going to give you a limited investment menu of options, but a lot of them are going to have target date funds. And a target date fund is designed for somebody who's going to be going to college at a certain year or around a certain year. And what's going to happen is the farther away from that date, the more aggressive that fund is going to be and the closer, the more conservative it's going to be. So it's kind of an autopilot option where it will it will shift its, its portfolio uh, holdings over time to get you more in line with where you should be uh, heading towards college. So a lot of people use that. That's probably the most popular option when people are using 529 plans. Uh, but but you don't have to, to go that route. You can, you can choose from their fund lineup. As long as you use this money in the 529 for qualified education, education expenses, there's no penalty and there's no taxes on the earnings. So the idea being you set money aside, you contribute each year, and then when you go to use the money, as long as you're using it for qualified education expenses like tuition, books, uh, a computer, room and board, student loans, these types of things, then you don't have to pay taxes on what you've earned over time that would come out um, tax-free. 
If you want to know what are qualified education expenses, what are not, again, I'm going to put a link in the, the show notes, savingforcollege.com, and an article there where they, they kind of break that down, what is and what is not uh, a qualified expense. So uh, the beneficiary on the account can be changed very easily as well. So maybe the concern is, well, if I do a 529 plan, what if, what if my child is not going to go to college? What then? Well, you can change the beneficiary very easily. It could be another child. It could even be yourself. A lot of people go back to school, get a master's, get, get further schooling, and you can use it for that. Um, so it's flexible as far as who, who can be the beneficiary and who that money can be used for. Now, if you decide to use it for something other than education, though, if you get to, you know, uh, five, ten years down the road and realize, oh, I don't want to use this for education, or maybe something come up, came up and we want to use this for uh, buying a house or for uh, moving or for taking a vacation or whatever, there's going to be a 10% penalty, plus you're going to have to pay income taxes on whatever earnings you've had, not on what you've contributed, but the earnings that you've had over time, you're going to have to pay income taxes on that. So that's a pretty stiff penalty. Obviously, you want to avoid that if at all possible. They do set up some exceptions. So in certain instances, like for instance, if the beneficiary dies or becomes disabled, maybe the beneficiary gets a scholarship to school so it doesn't need the funds in the 529 anymore if they're attending a, a U.S. military academy. In those circumstances, those exceptions, you would not have a penalty for withdrawing the money, but you would have to pay uh, income taxes on the earnings because remember, it's not a, a federal, it, you don't get a federal income tax uh, deduction on that. So the pros with 529s, a lot of pros, state tax deduction in some states, tax deferral, so as the money can really grow inside of an investment vehicle over time and uh, and generate a return, especially if, if, if it's early on and you're 10 years or more away from school. Um, Tax-free distribution as long as it's used for education. So as long as it's used for the intended purpose, you do get a tax benefit there. And the money's earmarked for a specific purpose. So sometimes the concern is, I want to I want to help this child, I want to help this minor, but I don't want to just give them the money and have them wasted on something dumb. This way, the 529 plan, it's going to be used specifically for education. Now, the limitations, of course, is it only can be used for education. So it's not just a blank check. It's going to be a large penalty if you use it for something else. So you, you want to make sure that you know it's going to go to education. Maybe the state plan, the 529 plan you used, maybe it doesn't have a lot of investment options, not as much certainly as, as an IRA would. And uh, maybe you live in a state like me, like Florida, and there is no state income tax deduction. So that's that's not helpful. Another thing, and, and we don't really have time to get way into the details on this, but um, this could be used as a reason to reduce or even be denied for federal aid, the FAFSA. Um, so you want to look at that as well and consider what what factors go into the determination for federal aid. So, um, you know, obviously having money in, a, in an account for education is great, but that could have some, some potential downsides to it as well. Let's move on. Number three, third way you can help prepare for your children's future. UTMA and UGMA accounts. They're very similar. Uh, they're, they're kind of uh, sister type of accounts here, they're, they're, but there is some differences. UTMA and UGMA, these are not college savings plans. These are custodial accounts for minors. So they're, they're specifically designed for people that are uh, contributing money to minors. You would name a custodian, typically yourself, and then the money that is contributed would legally belong to the minor. So it is 
the beneficiary is the minor, and once the money is put in that account, it is technically belonging to the minor. However, they would not have full access to those funds. You as the custodian would, would maintain control until they are of age. The interest that's made on the account could be taxable. So you can put money in a UTMA, UGMA account and just basically keep it in cash, keep it liquid and not generate a return. But of course, if it's going to be a long time frame, and I would encourage you to try to invest the money and generate a return. The first eleven hundred is going to be interest free, or going to be our first eleven hundred dollars of interest is going to be tax free. The next eleven hundred is going to be at a reduced tax rate, and then anything above that is going to be taxed at the parent's tax rate. So this is where you want to be careful. Uh, uh, consider getting some tax advice, getting a CPA involved if you're worried about the tax implications of setting up an account like this. With a UGMA account, the beneficiary is going to receive the money once they reach 18 years old. With a UTMA account, it's going to be anywhere from 21 to 25. So that's one of the key differences between UTMA and UGMA. The idea there is once they are of age, then the, the money actually goes to them for them to be able to use. It, 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 was, it was legally their money all along, but now they have access to those funds and they can use it for whatever they decide. You no longer as the custodian have a say in how the money is distributed once they reach that age. So the big pros to UTMA, UGMA account is you can use it as an investment vehicle. You can, you can generate a return over time. The first portion of the interest is tax-free. So as long as you're not putting a ton of money in there, you're probably not going to go over that 1100 uh, range anyway in interest in a year. More investment options available to you than would be in, in say, a 529 plan. And then more distribution op options. So it doesn't have to be used for college. They can use it to make a down payment on a house, to buy a car, to buy an engagement ring, to you know whatever they need to use it for, uh, it's up to them. Now, the downside here is, there could be taxes, especially if there's higher interest earnings. So if there's quite a bit of money being put in the account, uh, could run into some taxes there. The beneficiary um, may use the money for something the custodian did not intend. So you might have had the best of intentions and pictured in your mind them using it for a great thing, and they might just take the money and blow it on something stupid. So there's that possibility. So you kind of have to know the beneficiary and know uh, that situation. And, uh, and also similar to uh, 529s that could be used um, in, in determining federal aid as well. So um, another consideration. Fourth way is just a regular brokerage account. So you could just set up your own account. It doesn't have to be a special college or custodial account. It doesn't have to be one where the money belongs to the minor or even or even is intended to go to the minor. It can just be your own account that you personally have designated to go to a beneficiary one day. You can list them as a transfer on death beneficiary. So you can list the minor, like something happens to me, it's going to go to them. But then having your own brokerage account allows you to invest the money as you see fit. And there's no withdrawal penalty. So you can take it out at any time. There's not a 10% penalty. And there's no rules on what the money has to be used for. So it doesn't have to be used for college. And it doesn't have to go to, to the beneficiary at any specific time. So you maintain the most freedom and control in this scenario. Um, and so, so you could... Give the money to the intended beneficiary at 16, at 18, at 21. Maybe you don't give it to them at all if, if you if you feel like that's actually for the best. Um, now, the big downside to a brokerage account and having a taxable account, taxable investment account here, is that you open yourself up to possible taxes, specifically capital gains taxes. So the difference here with capital gains, you've got short-term capital gains. That would be anything that's 
uh, a capital gain within one year of purchase. So you buy a stock, you buy a fund, you sell it within one year of purchasing it, and you make a gain. That would be taxed at your regular income tax rate. So if you're at 24%, 32%, 12%, you know whatever range you're at, that's how it's going to be taxed. A long-term gain is one that's sold after one year of purchase. So anything over a year is a long-term gain, and there's different rates for those. So if you made between, well, if you were filing singly, $40,000 a year, or filing jointly up to $80,000 a year, if you're within that range, you owe 0% on long-term capital gains. So you don't owe anything. But if you're above those limits, then you go up to the 15% tax bracket, and if you're a really high earner, 441000 and some change for a single filer, 496000 and some change for a joint filer, above that, it would go up to 20%. That's the highest long-term capital gains rate currently. So uh, again, that's where a CPA, a tax professional, can, can be involved in that conversation if you're worried about tax implications of a brokerage account. So um, the big benefit here with a brokerage account, just going with the taxable account, is you maintain the most freedom. You can choose, the you have the most investment options available to you, the most choice on, on when to withdraw, when to distribute, when to give that money, how much to give that money, what it can be used for. You're in complete control, and, 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 and that's really nice. Of course, the big downsides are the taxes. So you could be owing capital gains taxes. You could be opening yourself up to that. Also, there are no tax benefits. There's no state income tax deduction. There's no tax deferral. Um, so you don't have those benefits either. Let me quickly mention number five. This is probably the, the simplest explanation. There's prepaid college options, particularly state colleges. Some of them will allow you to prepay the cost. College tuition has been skyrocketing in price. It's been accelerating way faster than inflation over these, these last few years. So we're talking 6 7% inflation. Um, so it's really skyrocketing cost. So maybe you're, you're worried, okay, by the time they go to college, I'm not going to have enough to pay a lump sum for a semester or for a full year. Maybe I can get started now and sort of spread that cost over time. And the idea is I prepay now at the current rate and I'm credited for the future. So that way um, it kind of helps me to, to protect against inflation somewhat. And um, now the big... Require, requirement here, of course, is that your kids need to be attending the school that you're prepaying to. So you have to know in advance, this is where they're going. This is the, the college of choice. And um, of, of course, that's that's going to be an important, important part of that. Um, but, but that's something to look into, to consider if you know where they're going to school and they have a prepaid option, maybe you can spread the cost out over time and not place as much of a financial burden on yourself in a short window. Now, lastly, let's talk about IRAs. People don't usually think about IRAs or, or traditional or Roth for kids, and this can be a great option, but there are some really um, important caveats. So Roth IRAs and traditional, uh, tra traditional IRAs are great investment vehicles for retirement. They are tax-advantaged. You can get a tax advantage before you contribute or uh, when you withdraw one day, depending on which one you go with, Roth or traditional. We've talked about that on, on the podcast while the money is inside the IRA, you get tax deferral. So the interest that's growing year to year, you're not paying taxes on a yearly basis. Either you're paying taxes before you put the money in the account or you're paying taxes when you take it out. But the key here, the key is that you have to have earned income from the individual that's opening the account. So if you want to open an IRA for your child, they would not, they would have to have earned income. So I mean, unless they have a part-time job or a summer job, 
this is not a possibility. But maybe you've got a 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old, and they do have some earned income, and uh, this could be a, a great uh, possibility uh, for, for some long-term savings. But remember, it is for long-term savings. If you put it in a traditional IRA, there's going to be a 10% penalty, plus you got to pay taxes if you withdraw early. You've got to wait until 59 and a half at least to avoid that 10% penalty. So the idea is this is not for college. This is not you know for short-term savings. This is not for buying a car. There are some exceptions to withdrawals, like your first-time home purchase for medical costs. But I would encourage you, for the most part, don't use a traditional IRA for those purposes. If it's short-term, don't use the traditional IRA. The Roth IRA is a little bit different. <clears throat> you can withdraw from the Roth IRA whatever you've contributed, and you can withdraw your contributions tax and penalty-free because you've already paid taxes on that money, and so you can pull it out. So if you've already contributed 5000 to the Roth, you can pull up to 5000 out without having to worry about that part of it. But what I would really encourage you to do is, is don't take money from your Roth unless it is an absolute emergency, unless it is like, really, really like I have no other options here. You don't want to go to a Roth because that's such a great long-term savings vehicle. So so if there's earned in income and you want to save for the long-term, you want your kids to get a great head start and really learn the power of compound interest and time and get all of that on their side, man, that's, that's awesome. Uh, that would be a great thing. If, however, the purpose is to save for more short-term goals like college, then this would just not be the right fit. So take some time to consider these options. If you're in a position to be able to help your kids, your grandkids, niece, nephew, whoever the, the, the person happens to be with future expenses, I think that's a great thing. You just want to make sure that you maximize that benefit. Understand your options. Do your research. Do your homework. Uh, ask for some guidance. Maybe ask your financial advisor. Uh, if you would like to get my input, then feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to be able to be a resource to you, give you some 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 help on that question. You can send me an email, info at nateskelly.com, or send me a message on Facebook. Again, thank you everybody for listening to the podcast, whether you're brand new or have been listening from the beginning. I really appreciate it. Hope this was a help to you, and I will see you on the next episode.